0: Yeah, so uh, what Doug is saying there is there's some more stuff happening. So uh, next week, Sunday, going to the corn maze. Join us for that. Talk to Andrea if you're interested in that. Um, And then we're moving this week's to the following week after that, so the 25th. Anyway, um, how are we doing this morning? Everybody doing all right? We got a few people have some energy this morning. Um, I hope you're doing well. Okay. A little late, but we're, we're doing all right. So, um... So I hope you're doing well. If you're not doing well, I hope that you know that this is a place where um, uh, we love and care for people, and we want to surround you and wrap our arms around you, and um, if you need that, we want to be here for you. So um, hopefully you can ask the question, how are you doing, and actually mean it, how are you doing, and then have an an honest response saying, hey, I'm not great right now, I need this, or I'm not doing great right now, I'm I'm going through this, Um, because this is a time when we need each other, and uh, not because of COVID, just because of stuff that's going on within this church in this congregation um so reach out to one another not just if you need help but if if you're you're willing and you love people then reach out um because we're a family we want to be a family at least um that's my hope and my dream for this church so uh that idea of family is a great segue into this new series that we're doing we're talking about uh broken branches as in like a family tree broken branches um because honestly, family can be really hard, can be really tough, and uh, things don't always go as planned. Uh, mistakes are made, uh, people are hurt, things happen within a family. And um, there's no such thing as a perfect family, right? There's just not. And, and I, I have conversations with people sometimes about stuff like this, and the statement often comes up, well, I guess my family's just broken, right? And it's always said in this sense, like that that's, that's a unique thing, right? Oh. Your family's broken. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Mine's perfect, right? Um, but that doesn't exist, does it? It does not exist. A perfect family does not exist. Um, there might be people or families who have less trouble or less stress in their life or, less, or, or, or they do a better job of hiding it, keeping it uh, covered up, but there is no such thing as a perfect family. And that includes when we look at scripture. Uh, the families that we find in scripture there's a lot of brokenness, right? Uh, including Father Abraham. And uh, and we're kind of included in his family tree uh, because, you know, we're grafted in and because I'm, I'm one of them and so are you, one of his kids, right? But um, Father Abraham. So what we're going to do with this series is we're going to look at kind of the family tree of Abraham. And uh, we're going to go down through it and we're going to see that there is a lot of uh, brokenness there. There's a lot of hurt relationships, hurt feelings, um, strife, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this is Abraham, right? This is like the father of God's chosen people, and his family is in this situation. So um, nobody's excluded from this. So we're going to go to Genesis 16, and we're going to read uh, starting about Abram because God hasn't changed his name to Abraham yet and Abram and his wife Sarai who also has not had her name changed to Sarah yet and uh, we're going to read about them so what we know about them so far if you read in Genesis up to Genesis 16 what we know is that Abram and his family um, he's left with his father and his family and his uh, nephew lot and some other people and they they've traveled God says hey go to this promised land and so they set out for this promised land but they stopped like short of it, stop before they get there. Um, and then Abram is, uh, has this meeting with God and God says, no, go all the way, right? Take, take your family to the promised land um, that I'm giving to this land that I'm giving you. And what's happened is they've kind of come along through Egypt on the way there And uh, there's a whole thing there when they're in Egypt. Abram kind of claims that his wife is not his wife, that she's his sister because he's afraid, because she's beautiful and he's afraid that the Egyptians are going to take his wife and kill him. Um, So he says, you know what, let's just pretend you're my sister. Um, That's kind of a broken family situation right there, right? Just claim that your wife is not your wife and that'll break your family in a hurry. Um, But anyway, anyway, God has said uh, he's made a covenant with Abram. And he's taking Abram outside and he says, look, look at the stars. Your descendants are going to be like the stars, right? they are going to be too many to count. You're not going to be able to number them. Um, and, and the problem is up to this point, there is no child, okay? Not the first child. So Abram's nearest descendant is actually a servant. So everything of Abram's is going go to go to this servant. And uh, God says, no, your family, your descendants are going to be like these stars, And so uh, in Genesis 16, we pick up in verse 1. Um, We'll start there, and it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found, by, uh, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Skip down to verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees, or you God see me, is another translation there. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Now, think about, just for a second, the family dynamics that are at play here, right? It's kind of amazing uh when you look at the things that we do when we're desperate for something okay sarai knows that god has told abram that they're gonna have kids and they're gonna have children and their descendants are gonna be like the stars in the sky like she knows that that's what abram or that's what god told abram she didn't hear it but god told abram abram that's something you're gonna tell your wife right especially when you're at the age that they are and that they have no kids uh at that point like you're gonna tell your wife that hey listen God told me today, we're going to have lots of kids, right? Or it's it's going to happen, right? You're going to go home and you're going to tell your wife that. Um, and uh, up to this point, there's no kids. So Sarai, hearing this, knowing her age, and then later on, like still continuing on, listen, we don't have any kids, we don't have any kids. You kind of get desperate, right? If God really said this, then this is what's going to happen, and maybe I'm going to have to make this happen. We kind of take on that role sometimes. Maybe I'm going to have to force this whole thing here. Um, But forcing the issue causes issues, other issues, right? That's a policy for life. Write it down. Forcing the issue causes issues. So think about the family dynamics at play. Sarah can't have kids. That's devastating to her, right? To the point that she kind of blames God. She says, God's preventing me from having kids. God's closed my womb, whatever, whatever she says it there. God has prevented me um, from having children. And so she's kind of blaming God, saying, God, you know, if, if you said we're going to have kids, but you've closed my womb, so now I have to do something about it. So she blames it on God, and she thinks, well, maybe then I'll have kids through my servant, Hagar. So she gives Hagar to Abram as a wife, and Hagar becomes pregnant. And it's Sarah's, it's, it's her idea from the very beginning. This is her idea. Now pause for yourself, or for a second, and ask yourself, how did Sarah think that was going to go, right? What was the thought process there? Here, Abram, have another wife, because, well, I'm not good enough, is essentially what she's saying. Have another wife. I can't give you what you need, what God is saying that he's going to give us, so have somebody else that can. How do you think that's going to go, Sarah? And I think, honestly, it kind of started, it was a sincere gesture from Sarah. Like, she sincerely was saying, listen, I guess I'm not going to have the kids, so if I'm going to have kids, it's going to have to be through somebody else, Um, but I don't know. Do you really think that's going to work out? Do you really think there's not going to be any competition there, that everybody would just be happy with that, that it would turn out great? No. Why would you ever think that? You give your husband, your servant, as a wife. This is somebody in Hagar, this is somebody who has been a servant. So she has had no control over her life up to this point. She's doing what other people tell her to do all the, all the time, right? So she's always a second-class citizen. Now, all of a sudden, you elevate her by giving her as a wife to kind of equal turf. And then it's not just equal turf. Now she has something over you. You who used to be her master, her, her, what, the person that was telling her what to do, now she has something over top of you that makes her superior in a way to you after all those years of you telling her what to do how's that gonna go really how's it gonna go that's not gonna work but we do dumb stuff when we're desperate and it can be from the most sincere motives uh, but that doesn't mean that it's not gonna cause cause harm along the way somewhere so hagar becomes Abram's wife. She does get pregnant. And surprise, surprise, here comes the trouble, right? Here comes the problems. Hagar, with this newfound superior position in life, kind of starts to rub it. This is the way I see it. it didn't say this specifically, but I see her like rubbing Hagar or Sarai's nose in it. Like, listen, you couldn't do this. I can do this, right? You can't have kids. I can have kids. So she begins to look down on, on Sarai. So Sarai then complains to Abram. And not just complains, like she blames Abram. Like, so she's blaming God first, and now she's blaming Abram, and she's saying, listen, like, this is your fault. And Abram's like, it's not my fault. It's You brought this on us, right? You wanted this to happen. Um, and uh, she complains. Hagar's treating me poorly. And Abraham says, listen, she's your servant. Do what you want with her. Right? So Sarai, with Abram's permission, starts treating Abram's other wife harshly while she's pregnant with Abram's child. And eventually, Hagar runs away to escape it. I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. I'm out of here. What a nice, sweet family picture, isn't it? Right? I'm so glad we have this example in scripture of what the, the family of God should look like, right? A godly family, strong. This is Father Abraham. This is Abraham, God's The father of God's chosen people, this is the hero, and this is what his family looks like. So broken branches, yeah, family's tough. Especially when you have two wives, it's tough. Anybody? No no two wives? Okay, good. Nobody can identify, all right. Family's tough. So there's a lot of directions that we could go with this whole scripture and this whole story. We could talk about Abram's role in this. Not a great husband, not a great dad, even before he was a dad. Uh, you could talk about Sarai's impatience. You could talk about how she blames other people for her problems or other things, even when she kind of brings it on herself in, in one instance. Um, but the person that I want to focus on this morning is Hagar. Because I think Hagar's situation and her story is probably one that some of us can relate to, um, Not in the sense that we're a servant or a slave and given as a second wife to anybody, but uh, because I think you can see some of the parallels in our own lives, in our own families that we see in Hagar's situation here. So let's think about this for a little bit. Who was Hagar in this family? Who was she? Well, she was part of the family because she was given as a wife, right? So she is part of the family. She is Abram's wife. It's important to know um, that she is a wife, that she's not like a concubine from one of the kings that kind of that, that shares his bed, but then also shares the house, but she's not a wife, so it's a different status. No, this is a wife, okay? This is a wife of Abram. And she's not just a surrogate mother where Sarai says, hey, have kids through her, her kids are mine, all that kind of a thing. No, she gives her, she gives her servant as a wife. So she is a wife. She shares that status in that way. And I know the whole thing is complicated with, with polygamy and all that stuff. It gets a little bit complicated there, but she was his wife, right? But even being Abram's wife, Hagar was an outsider. Hagar was an outsider. She never shared really the same status as Sarai and Abram. She was an outsider. Hagar was Egyptian. Abram and his wife Sarai and the rest of their crew, they came from Ur, right? Right? They had their own customs, their own beliefs, their own culture that they came from. Um, but Sarai came from Egypt, and they probably picked up Sarai as they were coming through Egypt on that whole "my wife is my sister" kind of a thing, right? Um, they probably picked her up as a as a servant at that point. But regardless of when she joined them, she's from a different people group, so different culture, different traditions, different uh, uh, language, different God. She was only brought into this family because she was bought as a servant. That's why she's there. It's a different status, different status. Hagar was an outsider in this family and just because she was made a wife, it didn't really change that. That was still her experience. And we can see that pretty clear in the behavior of Abram and Sarai towards Hagar even after she becomes a wife. So just because she was technically a part of the family She was very much an outsider within the family. How many of you know what it's like to be an outsider? To feel like you're different from everybody else around you. And maybe on the surface you might fit in or in name you might fit in, but you and everybody else knows in that group you're on a different level than they are, right? And not in a good way. What about when it comes to family? Sometimes, for whatever reason, whether it's our own life choices or whether it's just kind of the family dynamics um, or the circumstances or whatever caused it, you can feel like an outsider in your own family, pushed to the side. You're the black sheep of the family just because you're different, right? That's what Hagar is dealing with. Her husband, Abram, doesn't stand up for her. It was her husband, and he doesn't stand up for her. When Sarah approaches him to complain and that Hagar despises her, he says, listen, she's your maid. She's your servant. Not this is my wife now, but she's your servant. You deal with her, right? He doesn't see her as a wife. So even in her own family, Hagar is an outsider. Even her marriage, she doesn't fit. Maybe you know what it's like to be in a family that doesn't feel like you fit. Maybe you can identify with Hagar in another way. There's not really a good way to say this, but Hagar was used, Hagar was used. There's not a lot of care that's taken for Hagar from what we can see in this picture, right? She was a servant, she was Sarai's maid, she was property that was acquired to do whatever Sarai needed her to do. So she was in the family Really, she was still just there to serve them, to do their bidding, to make their lives easier. She didn't have a lot of choice in the things that she did. And when Sarai couldn't have kids herself, once again, she looked at Hagar and said, You can give me what I need. You do it. Sarah saw Hagar simply as the means for her to have children. Perhaps. She says, perhaps I will obtain children through Hagar. In other words, they'll be my children. I'm just going to use Hagar to get them. I'll use Hagar to get what I want. There's no consideration for Hagar for what she might want or for what she might need or how she might feel about the situation. She doesn't really have a choice in it. Really, Hagar was just a resource to exploit. That's how she was a part of this family. Hagar was kind of an object to be used for whatever needed to be done. And the truth is, Abram, her husband, treated her in that same way. Because he says she's not mine. She's your servant. Almost in the sense like, listen, my job is done here. She's pregnant. Now she's yours. You deal with her, right? It's Kind of a pretty jerk move from Abram. So if we're honest, as we look at this whole scenario and this whole dynamic of this family that's going on, Hagar was just kind of used rather than actually having a place in the family. Not only was she an outsider, she was also treated like she was a piece of property for the rest of the family to get whatever they wanted. Maybe you identify with that. I'm not trying to villainize people within your family or to bring up old hard feelings, But the fact is, there's very likely people in this room who, whether it's intentional, who, whether it's been intentional or not, feel like this in their family. It's the feeling of only being welcome into the group or only being valuable to the family because, well, I'm here to do whatever needs to be done to make your life easier. So, not within the family, but I've had this. I've experienced this feeling. Probably most of us have experienced this feeling before. I can remember a time when I felt used. Uh, It's kind of minor in scope, but when I was in high school, um, or really all throughout school, I I, I wasn't the most popular guy. I was basically, I wasn't the most popular guy, but I wasn't the guy that everybody made fun of, right? So I was kind of like largely ignored um, by most of the people, especially the popular people. But School always came easy for me. Grades always came easy for me. It was really easy to do my work and to get it done and to make good grades. Um, And it wasn't lost on me that in my homeroom, we would always go to homeroom first thing in the morning, and it wasn't lost on me that there was a particular group of friends um, who in homeroom, when they were doing their homework that should have been done last night, were real buddy-buddy with me because I knew how to do the homework. In fact, I already had the answers, right? Right. and you would think, looking at that situation, that they were my best friends from that interaction and the level of attention and all that stuff. But when the bell rang and we went to first period, the rest of the day it was like I didn't exist. Right? It doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great. Maybe there's a certain level of that experience that you can, you, you kind of feel like, oh man, I kind of like that, right? There's a certain level of that that you kind of like because you want to be the some the 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 person, the somebody that people depend on, or you want to be the person who can help uh, somebody when they're in their, you know, in a in a dire situation or in a need, um, because you kind of like the attention that it gives, in a certain way, right? Even if deep down you know that really you're just a means to an end that. You're just kind of being used for their purposes. They don't really care about you or what you want or what you need or how you feel, only about getting the things that they need. Some people can tolerate that for their whole lives. Some people do tolerate that for their whole lives because that's the only experience they've ever had in a family. But most can only take it for so long. And at some point it boils over, right? At some point it becomes too much and something breaks and that's really difficult within a family, really difficult, whether that is um, a spousal relationship or that's a sibling relationship or it's a grandparent-parent relationship or a, a father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter, whatever, all of those re- relationships, it, it, it can come in all of those forms or on a, the extended family. And it can be really difficult and really messy and really painful when it happens. It hurts to be used. Because the message that's being received when we're used is our value is only in what I can do for you. If I'm not doing something for you, then I don't have any value to you. That's the message that we receive. And again, I think it's really likely that there's people in this room who've experienced that. You've felt it. You've experienced it. And that was the kind of message that Hagar was receiving. So it's not really surprising that something broke, right? It's not really surprising that when she was in a position where she had something to hang over Sarai's head, that she did. And it's not really surprising uh, uh, when when the complaint is made and the, the treatment even becomes even harsher, that she leaves. It's not surprising. And when she leaves, when she runs, Hagar has this encounter with what it says, the angel of the Lord. Now, it's largely understood through scholars and all that, all that fancy stuff, right? It's largely understood the term angel of the Lord actually is just God, right? This is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is God showing up in this situation um, so when you read in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, it's like people refer to, that's God. And the angel of the Lord, this pre-incarnate Christ, comes and finds Hagar. And he asks her where she's going. He says, Hagar, where are you going? What are you doing? It's not a, he, he doesn't need to know where you're going or what you're doing. He knows. He knows her name, right? He already knows who she is and what she's going and what she's doing. But he asks her, um, and she says, I'm fleeing I'm fleeing Sarah. And God says, go back and submit to Sarah's authority, but also I will multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. He goes on to her to say that her son's going to, his name is going to be Ishmael, <laughs> and we didn't read it, but it says, there'll be a wild donkey of a man. That's what it says. I'm not sure that's too comforting at that moment, right? Can you imagine somebody coming to you and saying, you're pregnant, and you, there's a prophecy over your child, and his name is going to be Billy, and going to be a wild goat, right? Um, but he said he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. And then the scripture says in verse 13, her response is this. Then she called the name of the Lord. She called. So she is giving God this name, okay? Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. You are a God who sees. Or another, the other translation is that you, God, see me, El roi. Hagar was an outsider, and Hagar was used, but Hagar was seen. Hagar was seen. She gave God this name, El-Roi, the God who sees. God, you see me, because God met her there. God spoke to her specifically and individually and directly to her situation. He says, I know You've got this baby boy inside of you. I know who he is. I know who he's gonna grow up to be. I know his name. I know his personality. I know that his family is gonna be against him and he's gonna be against his family. God knows all those things about Hagar and about her kid. And probably one of the darkest moments of her life, she found out that without a doubt, she was not overlooked because God spoke specifically in her situation, gave her those details, said, I see you. She might've felt like an outsider in her family and she might've been treated like one. She might've even been valued as property or only valued for what she could do for somebody else. But God says, Hagar, you're not overlooked. I see you. I know you. I see the hurt. I know the hurt that you're experiencing. I've not forgotten you. See, this morning I don't come with advice On how to handle your family conflict or your situations. I don't come with a uh, a three step plan to make your family find favor with one another or or whatever to make your life easier or tips on how to help with that rocky relationship, um, even though that's probably what a lot of people would like. I came to tell somebody this morning that God sees you, He sees you, He knows your pain, He knows what it is to be rejected. The people that he came to save stripped and whipped and beat him and hung him on a cross. He knows what it is to be rejected. He knows what it is to feel like an outsider among his own people. It's not lost on him. He knows what it is to be used for the things that he could give people. People chase Jesus around because he could give them free bread. He knows what it is to be used. He sees you. He hears you. knows you and he understands you don't let the circumstances of your family life dictate what you understand about God and about how God sees you and how he relates to you the temptation might be to see God in the same way that we see our family we're an outsider in this relationship with God we don't really fit We couldn't possibly fit. We couldn't possibly keep up the standards that God wants us to. We'll never be embraced. We'll always be an outsider. He'll tolerate us because he saved us, but we don't really belong. Don't let the circumstances of your family life dictate what you understand about God and about how he sees you. You're only valued by God when you're useful to him wrong that's wrong hagar was an egyptian she had different gods right and this god elroi the god who sees stepped in when she was running away when he, he could have let her go there was no reason for god to step in and to say hagar i see you the children their child of promise was coming through sarah through is isaac right not ishmael And God steps in and he says, Hagar, I see you. I've seen your affliction. I will greatly multiply your descendants. To somebody who had different gods, how much more does he say that to you who are his child through the death and the resurrection of Jesus? I see you. Only valued when you can perform? No. He valued you long before you ever performed anything. sees you he knows you he hears you he understands you your value does not come from fitting in with the family your value does not come from your usefulness to somebody or your usefulness to god you are valuable because he died for you you're valuable because he decided you are In Titus 3, it says, verse 4, it says, But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, not on the things that you can do for him, now, past, present, future, not on performance, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Your value is in him. Your value is in him. You are worthy of love and acceptance because you're his. You weren't worthy but he made you worthy. Don't let circumstances of your family life and your life experience dictate how you understand that God sees you. He sees you, he knows you, he understands, and he loves you. When I look at this story about Hagar, the fact that God is so specific to Hagar's situation is what overwhelms her. That's what she's overwhelmed by. That's why when God says these specific things about her and about her her son that's gonna be born, that's when she knows, God, you see me. If you look at that scripture, Genesis 16, uh, 11 through 12, it's the one part we skipped over earlier. It says this, the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you're with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all his brothers. See, Hagar doesn't say why she's running or why she's having trouble with Sarah and yet God sees her and knows her situation and specifically speaks to it. He knows that she has a child in her. He knows that that boy's name is Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael means? Ishmael means God hears. So every time that Hagar says her son's name, she's reminded, God hears, oh yeah, God sees me, right? God hears me and God sees me. Let me tell you the power of knowing that God sees you. I've been several occasions on my life that I've experienced God saying, I see you, specifically saying, I see you, Justin. I know what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. And he said it so specifically, there was no doubt. I've told some of these stories before, but I'm gonna tell one again. And that is that when I was at a a regional uh, vineyard meeting, and they had this prophetic prayer time, and that basically means they're gonna do worship. You go and you see a couple of people. They pray over you. They ask the Holy Spirit to speak some things, and then they share those things with you if they hear anything. And this one time specifically um, at this meeting, I went over, and I was wrestling with some stuff with work, and uh, with, with I was in ministry at that time with youth and all kinds of stuff, um, and I was really struggling with it, and um, this guy starts praying over me, and he says, he says, Justin, I see you in a, in a boat, and you're fishing, and you're in the right boat, and you're in the right water, but you're using the wrong lure, right? You're using the wrong lure, and I was like, okay, all right, I can, I can see, so God, you're saying kind of change some things or whatever, and then he paused and he said, and I don't know if you know anything about fishing, but you're using a spinnerbait, and I broke because the only thing that I grew up knowing how to fish with was a spinnerbait, and God says, you're using a spinnerbait. You gotta change it, right? It's the wrong lure. It's the wrong thing. It's the wrong message, And I understood specifically, that was so specific to me that God said, you're gonna have to do something you don't know how to do. And I'm gonna do it. But you gotta trust. I know you don't know how to do it. I know you don't know how to give this message. I know you don't know, whatever. But you gotta trust this is gonna work. There was another time when we were at a conference just last summer um, same situation, asking the Holy Spirit, move among us, God, give us words. Um, it was probably a couple of thousand people in the space. And, uh, and I was like, I, I wanted to hear from God. I said, God, speak to me. I wanna hear something from you. I wanna know that you know what I'm going through. I wanna know the struggle, or that you feel the struggle that I'm experiencing. And a guy from the, from the balcony up above whole big space, comes down from the balcony and he's walking, I see him walking through the aisle, he's walking through the aisle and I kind of I notice him walking, I don't know why I notice him walking, but I notice him walking because everybody's on their feet and there's a bunch of people moving around and stuff and I notice him walking and he kind of, he passes our aisle and he stops and he turns eye contact, boom. And he turns around and he goes straight to me, he climbs over chairs to get there and he says, I got a word for you from God. And it was specific. God sees you. God knows you. God hears you. And he understands you. And even if you feel like an outsider in your family, if you feel like you're only tolerated in your family because sometimes you can do stuff for him, that's not how God sees you. That's not how God sees you. And I feel like, This morning, I told the worship team we're going to do something different this morning. We're going to do an exercise, if you want to call it an exercise. Um, And we're going to listen for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to ask God to speak, because I believe he specifically has words for people to say, I see you. And it's going to be specific to your situation, to whatever you're experiencing. And I know some of the things that y'all are going through, but not everybody knows the things that you're all going through. And so I'm going to ask that we all stand up. We're going to do it this way. So we're all going to go ahead and stand up. And Doug's going to play some a little bit, and I'm going to step down off here to the stage, off, off the stage. And we're just going to ask, we're gonna, it's going to be ministry time. And we're going to say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit. You see us. Sometimes we need to know that you see us, God. Sometimes we need to know that we're not out here on our own, doing our own thing, struggling with this on our own. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, whether that means you need something, or whether that means, Spirit, speak to me so that I can go give a word to somebody else. And if you feel a word, if you hear a word, don't ignore it. If If it's a thought out of nowhere, don't ignore it, right? Listen to it. Ask God, is that something for somebody? Who's it for? If you don't get an answer for who it's for, I want you to come share it up here because that's the way it works sometimes, right? Sometimes we get a word, and I'm not looking for generalization like fortune teller predictions, right? This is a specific word that God's got for somebody, multiple people, all right? So let's just pray and let's just invite the Holy Spirit to be in this place, to move among us. If you wanna hold your hands out, you can hold your hands out. But Father, we just uh, just come to you right now. God, I believe that you have things for us. Spirit, I believe that you want to give us specific words. Because you want to tell us that you see us. You want to tell us that we're not alone. You want to tell us that we're not overlooked. Even if all of our life experience may be that, God, That's not how you see us, and that's not the case with you. We're valued because we're yours. So, Holy Spirit, come and fill this room. Move powerfully as we wait on you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And it's okay if it's a little awkward as we wait. Worship team, if you get a word, share it. Don't be afraid. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Hey, this is Pastor Justin. I hope this message has been meaningful to you today. I know many of you who listen to this podcast are not a part of our local church body. For those of you outside of our community or outside of our state, I would love to hear from you about how you discovered our church and maybe about how this ministry is impacting your life. You can reach out to us at info at or find us on Facebook and message the church in that way. I would also let you know that you can now watch the sermon live on our YouTube channel each Sunday morning, a little bit after 10.45 a.m. The audio will begin as soon as the sermon starts. Either way, God bless you, and I hope you continue to grow and to mature in Christ, in who he has already made you as his righteous and redeemed child. Amen, and God bless you.